This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. All right, welcome back to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Jared Pickney, and I'm here with my friend Brad Watson. Brad, how are you today? Yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm yeah, just continuing to adjust here in LA. I don't know if I've told you, but I have like this weird hand problem these days. No, you have not. What's going on, bud? It's it's something. Actually, it was over this last weekend as I was preparing to preach that. The spirit was like totally convicting me of how I don't tell people about this. And I try to like cover it up. But uh, basically, I have some sort of like tendonitis, arthritis, carpal tunnel thing going on in my hands, wrists and elbows. And so it's incredibly painful right now. And I know I'm, I'm like saying it with a smile because it's like embarrassing to be in need is what I'm realizing. Like something in my heart is like you shouldn't be in need, which is as we know not who we re- we really are people of need we need the gospel but um yeah so i have to like wear hand wrists little contraptions and to drive and to write is actually the the most painful sort of stuff that i'm doing these days things that don't really matter that much right right if you live in la and you're a writer it doesn't really matter if you have to be able to type or drive but anyway it's been i would say like spiritually challenging more mm. than it's been physically challenging Mm. to have to admit hey i can't get this project done because my hands hurt too much to say that is just i don't know it's an upstream practice for me let's just put it that way so wow well man thanks for sharing with me and with others thanks for being needy in front of us and so (laughs) i uh uh certainly my heart hurts for you and pray that you will uh man be strengthened soon and in the midst of it that you'll experience more of god's grace yeah thanks well are you ready to you ready to try to dive into the topic for the day i am yeah i'm excited about it i need to talk about this topic um it is certainly relevant in a lot of what you shared and even a lot of the kind of the week that i've had here um with Mm -hmm. several tragedies in in our city and so you know i think the temptation is at times uh maybe even people who are scrolling across this podcast maybe the temptation when you see the title is to be like okay i've got the gospel give me something else mm-hmm. and so because of that we want to focus on an episode where we really talk about you know why the gospel should motivate everything that we do and um, mm-hmm. what exactly that means and and why it's so important for us to get this right and so uh, Brad, i'd love to get your your thoughts on that yeah, it is such an important question. And it is so odd. We just want to pass over it, you know, even just sort of say, yeah, yeah, I get all that theology stuff. It's like, let me move on to like really living it. But the reality is, is the only way to to really live, you know, the way we're talking about is to live the gospel, uh, to understand and continually return to it and to try to live out the gospel implications. That's that's something that that we often say here in Soma in Los Angeles. It's something we said often in Portland and Bren Wine was really not giving you some sort of new model to follow. Uh, we're really just trying to connect the dots between the gospel and your life. And so coming to this question, you know, how does the gospel motivate you is just crucial, as you were saying. 
And I think for me, one of the main ways the gospel motivates me is the fact that it changes what I believe uh, or it's doctrinal. And so this idea for me comes from Mark chapter one, the gospel of Mark, when Mark says that Jesus comes into Galilee, he proclaims the gospel of God, and he says, the time's fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And and so at this point, you know, all of, you know, Jewish history has been waiting for someone to come and be the Messiah, bring the gospel, uh, or bring the kingdom of God, rather. And here Jesus is walking around saying, here's the really good news about God. The really good news about God is the kingdom is so close you can touch it. It's, it's reaching into your life. It's reaching into human history. It's me. And what you do with it is you repent and believe in the gospel. And so, uh, and then this is something that we often forget is that the gospel causes conversion in our hearts and our lives that, that we go from believing one thing into believing the good news about Jesus. I think that that's really practical, not just as a, this is how you get into heaven peace, or this is your gateway into uh, you know, the Christian life, but it's really the the whole of it because most of us are functional atheists, uh, meaning we walk around as if no one's going to care for us. No one's coming to our rescue. This is all there is. We just need to make the best decisions possible, live a really good life. Um, or, you know, others of us, we might be functional agnostics sort of saying, oh, well, there is a God. I just don't know what he's doing right now in this messed up world. And then I think there's still many of us, especially in America, who function as deists, sort of saying God does exist, uh, and he kind of left us the roadmap for how to fix ourselves. And so that's what we need to do is to fix ourselves, fix our world, as long as we create enough programs, create enough uh, processes and rules and regulations, we can somehow put the world back together. And so I would say the gospel changes that because all of these beliefs send us into the world trying to secure our own comfort and acceptance, significance, or even our satisfaction through our own means, through working really hard or being creative or using other people, using relationships. And all the while, we might be hoping for someone to come and shape our lives to make us whole. We're looking for things and people to do that. But in the end of the day, I would say most of us, you know, when it's really dark and quiet in our homes, whenever we actually put the phone down to be awake and silent, we would be honest with ourselves and would say, oh, I don't believe anyone's coming to the rescue. I don't think anyone will. And so we sort of settle for lesser ambitions of, I don't have to be that comfortable. I don't have to have that much acceptance. Uh, Instead of really hoping for a full restoration and a vibrant life. We basically just sort of hope for a distracted life. And, and that's all of that is going on in the background of our lives, even as Christians. So a lot of people, we might hear that and say, oh, yeah, that's such a good reminder about how people who don't know God, that's how they live. But that's really the reality of many of the people in our communities, many of the people of our churches. So many people I've found, even praying for people as a, as a pastor, they hope for pain relief instead of healing. Like, even as I was just sharing about my hands, I just basically want the re- there to be relief, not just a full healing of my body. Um, we don't believe anyone's coming to our rescue. So we basically just kind of hope for how can we make my best life now? Even if someone claims to be a savior in our lives, we doubt that they could change us. Maybe they could change some circumstances. And so all of that to say huge point here about gospel motivation. All that to say is the gospel actually changes what we believe about life, pain, death, and rescue. It changes how we 
engage our homes, the, the purchasing of our houses, all of that. Because instead of saying, this thing will make me a little bit more secure, this thing will make me a little more happy, we're saying the only thing that could ever make me happy, ever make me alive is Jesus. And, I, and, th- and that worldview has changed because of the gospel. Uh, it's the good news that Jesus defeated sin, death, evil, uh, through his own death and resurrection, and he alone is making all things new. And so that really, you know, the gospel demands a change of belief that that then also leads to a change of life um, because it is earth-shaping news. Like it does, it just transforms the world because God did come to the rescue. The biggest things facing us, sin, evil, and death, God has actually defeated and is defeating within us. All the pain and suffering and death that we experience, God actually took on pain, suffering, and death that our suffering would actually be in Christ and we would know Jesus even more and deeply. We would know life, that God is victorious in our lives, that God does love us and God does come to us. And so we no longer really have to struggle to make ourselves right or justify our actions before others or before God, which in terms of motivation, that's a big change from how we normally live, right? We normally live thinking, uh, I need to follow the rules so that I can get a gold star at the end of the day, like my daughter's in kindergarten right now. And that's like, all she's thinking about is, man, if I follow the rules, though, we get enough marbles in the jar and we get pizza. And that like fully (laughs) motivates her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've also realized that she doesn't want to get in trouble, not because she knows of this consequences, Like, I don't think she can really conceive of what it would be like for her to go to the principal's office, but she just doesn't want any of the other kids in her class to see her not follow the rules, which that's the sort of Mm -hmm. shame justification that we all know. And so the gospel actually frees us into this life where we find ourselves justified in him instead of trying to prove our worth. We worship Jesus in this world. Instead of fearing death, we like behold life and run for it courageously Um, Instead of trying to secure comfort, we are constantly turning to the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Um, Instead of striving, we find rest. Um, It just changes everything about how we believe and then make decisions. And I think just to talk to leaders for a second, I think many times we forget this. We sort of operate out of the mode that uh, we're all alone trying to make people's lives better or we're trying to make those that we lead better we're the ones that are in charge. And in our own reality, we're saying uh, the news that we're sharing is leader centered. You know, the underlying belief that we operate out of is, you know, everyone who needs help, come to me, the leader, and I will fix you. Instead of the gospel, which is Jesus sort of standing up, everyone who's tired and hungry, come to me. um, We kind of make it ourselves and we operate in a way where God is absent and distant and non-existent. And so I think as leaders, we have to regularly remind ourselves and return to the belief that the gospel is the power to save and also the power to make all things new. Yeah, in other words, we have to regularly return to the gospel as the true lens in which we see the people we love, uh, the people we're trying to make disciples of, and that the gospel is the true story that everyone's living in. That for me is just like how much this matters and just sort of the implications of it as we, you know, try to lead people in Mm. these truths. Do you have a personal story of how you've seen evidence of in your life or maybe, you know, some of the more negative fruit of times whenever you've had a hard time believing and embracing the gospel? Oh, yeah. I think for me, 
I've often relied on this. You can yeah listen to our Enneagram podcast and uh, find out that uh, I am a three, which just basically means I just want to achieve and accomplish things the the fastest, quickest way possible. Uh, that's part of what it means. And so often what I've done in, in kind of motivating for community and leadership is try to push people into new rules and new systems. Kind of say, hey, everyone needs to sign this missional community covenant next week or, you know, you, you shouldn't be part of this community anymore. Or say, hey, this is the system. We're sticking to it. What I did is not say I'm God, but say, hey, this system of success is God. Uh, this, mm. this covenant, this plan, this resource is the one that will save and rescue us and save and rescue the world around us. And through that, I really like hurt people by, you know, squashing them down. But I also hurt people by just the absence of God and all of that. And we're so starving to actually know know God and to, to dwell in his presence. It, I look back on it with sadness saying, oh, man, we we just missed out on that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one example. I mean, there's one community in particular that, that that whole process very early on basically, you know, dissolved my community. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I've experienced it. Uh, Jared, how have you seen the gospel change your motivation for leading communities, even for, for following Jesus? Well, uh, you know, for me, I think at an early age, I had to learn how to take chaos and create order. And so mm-hmm. that's helped me in many ways as a pastor and as a missional community leader, but it's also been harmful in some ways. And so, for example, you know, when it comes to, to leading a church or leading a missional community, there are, are times where I can look at all these different moving parts and think, okay, in my head, I know how to pull all those together pretty quickly, and I don't need anybody to help me do that. And so I will run to immediately just working out all the details without anybody, um, without prayerfully planning, without, you know, trying to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. I just kind of depend on my own power. And as a result, there have been times where the plan has been totally effective. If you look at it on paper, Mm -hmm. but the results not always been super fruitful or maybe it's, it's appeared to be fruitful on the surface, but on the inside, like I I find myself just being ate up with fear and anxiety Mm -hmm. and frustration because I'm yeah. trying to manage all this stuff in my own power. You know, I can also think of times where even the last couple of weeks, you know, where I'll be traveling home from the office and thinking, you know, I really need to connect with my neighbor tonight mm. because I haven't talked to my neighbor in a week. Mm. And and I'll have that thought, not necessarily out of a pure motive because I just want to be a good neighbor and mm. love my neighbor as myself, but because I've tied my value to how other people view me as a pastor. I'm finding my identity primarily as a pastor, as a missional community leader. And therefore, mm. I begin to believe the lie that what I do matters more than what Christ has done for me. And so I think, man, I want the church mm. not to ever accuse me of being a bad missionary. And so therefore, I'm going to go out. And I'm going to you know, make sure that I play in the front yard with my right. kids, no matter how bad they want to play in the backyard. I'm going to make them play in the front yard, uh, no matter how miserable we all are, because I'm going to connect with my neighbors. Yeah, you know, and that can obviously be exhausting, as you can imagine, on on you know many different levels. And so, for me, what I have to continually go back to um, is just to remind myself the truth that that God is with me, that I'm not alone, mm-hmm. um, that uh, not only is He He with me, and that He's for me, and He delights in me, and uh, I'm valued not because of what. I do for God, but because of what God has done for me. And honestly, mm-hmm. that, that's incredibly hard for me to believe that. I know it sounds really yeah. elementary, but I think I'm yeah. going to have to spend the rest of my life 
there and and try mm-hmm. to dive deeper and deeper into that reality and because i find that in the weeks and the times and the moments that i'm living there mm-hmm. um that honestly it's like the pressure's off all of a sudden yeah i can breathe uh i can rest which i think is what jesus was getting at he said come to me all who labor and heavy laden i'll give you rest mm-hmm. and so i can rest in the work and i can actually enjoy god more and i can enjoy my family mm-hmm. and just my entire life uh uh, much more than whenever I'm, I'm trying to function and walk outside of the step of the gospel. So, yeah, no, that's such good news. And I, yeah, I totally affirm that. I totally relate to it. You know, I'm one of those people that if there's a big, you know, group moment where someone, you know, like in a concert when they're like, you guys are so awesome, you know, like that means nothing to me unless <laughs> that rock star came and talked to just me and said, I've seen all the work you've done. You're awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of, you know, I can relate. That's how I I picture God often, that sort of my false picture of God is that way of like, well, yeah, God thinks we're all cool, but, but surely he sees the work that I'm doing and thinks that I'm very cool, mm-hmm. that I'm very good. Uh, when in reality, that's disastrous. And as you said, exhausting. And it's not true because God actually looks on us and says, because of how good my son is, Jesus, I look at you and say, you're very good. And I'm so pleased with you. Or even the flip side of that too, Brad, is for me, very rarely do I feel that God looks at me and is saying like, you're extra special because of your work. But it's like, hmm. and like, you really, you really need to pick up the pace. You know, like you right. really had you're 34, you haven't accomplished near as much as so-and-so on Twitter mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. this pastor or that leader. And so right. um, that's the voice that I tend to hear. And again, it's this exact same gospel that I need to go back to of right again. I'm mm-hmm. valued, as you just said, not because of what I do, right. but because of what Christ has done yeah. for me. So Yeah, that's a really good word. Yeah, I think there's, you know, kind of one other place. So so far we basically talked about just the the, the sheer doctrine of the gospel and how that motivates us. Mm-hmm. And then as you were sharing, it's just like how who God is and what he's done changes who we are and that changes our motivation. And then I think that sort of the last place to go is that the gospel of Jesus actually changes where we live, that God is the missionary God. And so if we believe that the gospel uh, means that we're rescued, that we're saved, that, that God has entered into this world to interrupt our lives, to bring the kingdom, and he's changing who we are, changing our identity, then he also is changing our world around us, that, that his kingdom is coming. Uh, so the gospel comes to us and it comes through us and it transforms the world around us. And and so there are implications there, you know, that we should make great culture, we should redeem social ills, that we should share the whole gospel with folks, uh, build community, build relationships, care for the suffering. Um, and, and Christians should definitely be among the most, you know, creative, neighborly, compassionate people, you know, anywhere you find. But the, the reality is, is that the gospel is affecting everything and it should affect everything. And it's doing it that because of the work of God. Uh, and so often I think what we get into is we're motivated by changing the world and making the world this amazing place in that we think it's on me to be the rescuer superhero or, or it's on our, our community to be the superhero and we can change people's stories. We can bring them to life. We can do all of that. But the reality is 
at least this is what I'm kind of staking my life on, is that it's it's the Holy Spirit empowering and working through us, but also working in ways that we can't see and working in ways that don't actually include us directly, that, that you know, the gospel is coming to our cities. Um, I, I'm often rereading uh, what Jesus reads in Luke 4, which is Isaiah 61, when it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's Jesus because... The Spirit has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit has sent Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yeah, in that passage in Luke 4, Jesus is basically saying the Spirit has sent me to do these things. Um, and that the Spirit sends us to do those things too, but it's the Spirit's work. Um, and so not only is the good news is it good news for us, but it's for our neighbors, for the poor, for our city, for the world. It affects everything, but uh, I think the good news for us as missionaries is that it actually is an empowering of the Spirit, and it's the Spirit's work to do those things, which I think drastically changes what we view as our responsibility, both in a positive light and a negative light, you know? Yeah, like I think of, uh, it was almost nine years ago that Miral and I and some really close friends were trying to map out how we were going to transform Portland, and so we were living the dream, I guess, uh, in a super artistic street in the city. And we'd moved, you know, sacrificed a bunch to come there. And we wanted God to use us in incredible ways. And we're beginning to sort of listen to what God was calling us to do. And we just want to see miraculous things and have great faith that the city would be transformed. And so we were talking about how to do that. And then one of my friends uh, who was in the room said, you know what, I actually, I don't think like God's asking us to change the city of Portland. And his wife and I got so mad at him. We're like, what are you talking about? We just moved all the way here. If you didn't believe that that's what God was, God was asking us to change the whole city. Like, what are we doing here? You know, like if, if, if that's not it, then what's the point? And, uh, what was it really amazing is he, he, you know, kind of set back in his like super casual way. And he's like, you know what? Like, God's actually trusting us to be the king of the city, whether we can see him being the king or not. And we need to be faithful in the small things. And so we did realize that being a missionary in Portland meant it would encompass our entire life, our work, our hobbies, all of that would be oriented around the mission of God. But we also learned that the only lasting motivation for that was rooted in our faith that Jesus was making all things new, uh, even Portland. Uh, we found that it was in there that the gospel wasn't just sufficient motivation for mission, but it was also even the means mm-hmm. of mission, that the good news is God is making all things new. Like that's, it's God who who is doing the great missionary work. And, and so what we're trying to do is people who love the Father, love the Son, love the Spirit, and saying, how can we be obedient? And so, I don't know, that that really changed the game for us. We got to see lots of cool things happen in the city. Uh, We got to engage them personally. Other people participated too, but everything we did was just the tip of the spear. You know, there was so much more underneath that, that that I believe God was doing. And so hopefully that can be encouragement to you wherever you find yourself, whatever church, whatever context, that, that the good news of the gospel is he's making things new where you are. That's so good. I think it's very, really easy to, you know, if we're not focused on the gospel purpose, 
which is to go and make disciples who make disciples, right? So God's glory covers mm-hmm. the earth as the water covers the seas. Like if we're not focused there, it's really easy to get bored, I think, as a Christian. But if you don't focus on the gospel power, you know, that it's God's mission mm-hmm. and it's his work and he's building mm-hmm. the church and he's the one that's saving people and opening, yeah. you know, the hearts and the eyes of the blind and all that, then we're burnt out, right? So you forget gospel purpose, mm-hmm. you're bored, you forget the gospel power you spoke about, you're, you're burnt out, right? And it's just, you're not going to sustain mm. very long. So good, good word, brother. Yeah, that's a lot of the big picture stuff, even the, the the deep theological things. Jared, for you, what are some practical ways that you actually, you know, remind yourself of the gospel so that that can be in the front of your heart and mind as the motivation for your life, uh, not these other things? Yeah, so for me, it's certainly establishing a time of silence and solitude. And so, you know, I know it's different for everyone. I'm a morning person, not a night person. Uh, my wife makes fun of me every time we try to watch a movie at night, even if we start like nine o'clock, I'm going to fall asleep in 15 minutes. And so, uh, you know, so I get up, you know, fairly early and, and I you know, make myself a coffee and then I just basically spend anywhere between probably, you know, 30 minutes to an hour just trying to be with God. And so, I mean, he's with me. Hmm. Problem is I'm just often not with him. And so when I take a moment just to be still before him, I can just try to recognize that he's with me. And what I do is a couple different things, by the way, just to try to get super practical. I usually start with kind of a feelings check-in. And so I just kind of center myself and the fact that I will physically just try to, I'll pay attention to my senses. And so what am I physically feeling? What am I smelling? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? And then I'll go to my feelings. Um, you know, am I feeling mm. fear or anger or sorrow or hurt or whatever it is? And then I'll do some focused reflection to where I'll just start trying to remind myself of the gospel in those areas. And then I'll do something sometimes called the prayer of examine, mm. which is where I'll just consider the previous 24 hours and I'll thank God for 24 things in the previous 24 hours. And I'll ask questions like when in the past 24 hours that I feel most alive, when did I feel most drained, when did I receive the most love, when did I give the most love? and what I want to do differently today in light of that. And those are just some things kind of to get me focused, kind of, I guess, centered. And then what I do after that is is I do dive into the scriptures. So I try to engage. Um, right now I'm going through mm-hmm. the, the Bible project. And so I will read scripture there and usually end up focusing in on a, on a word or passage that, that jumps out at me and just try to immerse myself in it and ask the Spirit to minister to me through that and then begin to pray Hmm. um in that way and so i'm also throughout the the day i you know put these reminders in my phones to stop me every now and then that probably sounds really elementary but um just to stop me Hmm. and uh make me pause and focus again okay like where am i you know right now it's like i know god is here but where am i and so just again to center me on him Hmm. and so that's the point of being gospel centric right it's Hmm. focusing on christ and who he is and what he's done and his presence and so that's what i'm doing there and then some of the things I'm doing is just trying to be open and honest about my own struggles uh, with God, obviously, yeah. and, and with, we call them fight clubs, just a gospel-centered accountability group, people who can speak the gospel into my life. And then, uh, obviously, I encourage people to read gospel-centered books. And so we have been blessed with guys like Jeff, who you know wrote Gospel Fluency, and then we have, obviously, Tim Keller's Prodigal yeah. God. And I'm sure you could list a whole lot of other books out there that are great reminders of the gospel. And, and then I would just encourage people um, who are listening to go back and check out the Enneagram podcast that we did with Adam. And I would mm-hmm. encourage people seriously to, to take time to dive in, to take the Enneagram test uh, that's 
you know, 10 bucks, get on our website. Um, you can go to the, the Enneagram podcast and you get all these resources there, but, or, or go to our website, you know, saturate website and, and get some of those resources. And I would encourage people to begin mm-hmm. the hard work of figuring out how some of the wounds you've experienced from your past are actually infecting your worship yeah. to the, to your worship, to the point that yeah. you may be believing lies that are, that are as a result, motivating you to do some things, uh, maybe some, even some good things mm-hmm. with some pretty bad motives. And so one of the things right. that might be frustrating to some people who are listening is when you hear people talk about, you know, being motivated by the gospel and believing the gospel, even that in itself can create more shame and more guilt. You're like, man, I want so, so bad to believe these things, but you can't figure out why am I still struggling to mm-hmm. believe. And just a, a word of encouragement is, is one, I'm reminded in the, in the passage in Mark, um, I think it's chapter nine, maybe where the Jesus comes to the man whose, whose son is ill and, and he says, you know, can you heal my son? And he says, yeah, if you believe. And the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, I want to believe, but can you help mm-hmm. me believe? And Jesus doesn't walk away. He heals the man. Uh, he heals the man's son. And so it's just a reminder, like, you don't have to have a perfect belief. You know, you don't have to be in a hurry to mm-hmm. get to this point. You just have to be willing to get there. And I think the Enneagram is just another great tool to help people understand, like, what's maybe the roadblock that's keeping you from truly believing these things that are about the gospel based off of things that happened in your past. So that's just some practical uh, thoughts, tips, advice that I would offer. Thanks, Jared. That's so awesome and really encouraging and practical ways that we can not just think these things, but live them out. And so that's a great spot for us to end. Thanks everyone for joining us and hope you have a wonderful week as you live out the implications of the gospel and live motivated by the good news of Jesus. See you next time. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.